Peristyle Podcast is sponsored by Trader Joe's. We've had a great relationship with Trader Joe's over the years, and we appreciate them being a part of the Peristyle Podcast. I just met with John Bassalone uh, last week, the president of Trader Joe's, who's also happens to be a listener to the Peristyle Podcast. He personally gave me his recommendation for something I haven't tried before, smoked trout. So it's in like a sardine can. You might be hard to find, but go check it out, like where the tuna fish and sardines and stuff will be. And uh, my wife bought some brioche toast to go along with it. And man, it was really good. So you open it up and there's like these big chunky pieces of smoked trout, like you said. So we tried it out, like kind of as an appetizer uh, to our meal. But we love we love going to Trader Joe's. My wife and I go all the time to our one in Hermosa Beach and uh, check different things out. This was to get a personal recommendation from John was pretty cool. And it's something I tried out. But there's lots of things. Just go to the different aisles and and try what you want. Um, there's so many good things over at Trader Joe's. A lot of great people. So Appreciate their sponsorship, and I hope you guys check them out. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football on the eve of National Letter of Intent Day, the February signing day, the second signing day, the sort of secondary signing day. But we're going to talk all about that. we got some fun stuff coming up. If you happen to be around campus, we will be at the labs from noon to about 2.30, 2.45 meeting with USC fans, talking USC football and signing day and all that. So if you're around and you're, you're listening to this before Wednesday, come down. Uh, we'll talk some signing day stuff. We'll talk team stuff. Take pictures, whatever you want to do, social media stuff. We'll have a good time. Uh, but if you have any comments or questions for the show, and we've got a lot today for early February podcast, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. It's been that way for a long time. It still will continue to be that way. And if you want to call or text us, the best way to do that, call 424 254 9141 or text that number. We we used it a little bit differently on last Thursday for our live tunnel vision show. We took live calls over that number. So we got some voicemail hybrids that people were calling in and they couldn't, we can only take one call at a time on tunnel vision because it wasn't like super, it, it worked really well, <laughs> but we had to take, you know, we can only take one at a time. So then you, uh, so th- there's a few voicemails that were interesting topics that we didn't get to on the live show because we were only getting, you know, when people got the live calls in, We'll play them or we'll talk about those topics uh, today on the show. But we're going to talk with Dan Weber. Got him on the line. And Keely Yor is in studio with me. Well, Dan, first start with you. How you doing, man? What's up? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah. It's really, it really is a whole different d- dynamic, though, with the early signing day. You know, I know last a year ago, USC kind of said, well, we can still be USC and, and, and we can do it, you know, kind of our own way and all that. Not anymore. Not this year. You better get them signed uh, as early as you can. So that's really taken the uh, taken the drama out of uh, the February signing date. I mean, it, it's pretty much uh, you know pretty much evaporated. Uh, as the, I mean, it was a, almost a holiday for us. Uh, yeah. a few years ago, it was a holiday. <laughs> and no, no holiday anymore. It was sort of like the you know if you're a, a a kid, you know your whole world. If you watch the Christmas Story, like your whole world basically revolves around Christmas. That's our whole world would revolve around 
signing day. And that's just not the case anymore. The February, I mean, the uh, December one is much bigger. There's so many more players. And it happens at the weirdest time where if you cover a team that's going bowling, you cover bowl practices. It's right before Christmas. So it's really kind of a strange. I hate the, the timing of it. I think they got to have to make some yeah. tweaks to it. Uh, what about you, Keely? What, well, welcome, Keely. Follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. Thank and you, uh, what, what do you think about this changing dynamic? I kind of hate that there's there's two now because you don't get all of the fun in the first signing day because there's so much happening around that time. You have bowl practices. You're still in the regular season mode. And then it comes to second signing day and you're like, we already kind of did this. You know, the, the, <laughs> the fun is kind of meh at this point. So yeah. I think there needs to be a, a, a happy medium of both things. Yeah, I, I've always thought like, well, obviously not, just recently, I don't mind the early signing period. Like I think if, when you when they came up with the early signing period, they thought that's what it was going to be just for some people, not everybody. So if you have an early signing period earlier, like during the season or before or a fall camp or something like that, because um, you can take earlier official visits now, you would have a few people sign, like maybe like the Jason Rodriguez of the world that were just going to come to USC no matter what. Let them sign then, but everyone else, you know, do it on signing day, like regular signing day. Just having it where it is, to me, uh, I'm not a huge fan. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, it worked. I think uh, the later signing date always worked for USC. Gave them, you know, the kind of time and all that. Although I will say this, uh, early signing day this year didn't get in the way of any bowl practices. So <laughs> in terms of, you know, it gave us something to do. And it, it came quickly enough that maybe it didn't hurt USC as much as you would have thought, you know, a five and seven season. But but in general, I think, you know, the later signing date is, is mostly going to help USC, I would think, uh, you know, most of the time. I don't know if there's a new, you know, coaching, uh, you know, staff and philosophy, uh, you know, that might might change. But the way things are now, uh, you know, I think the later the better for USC. Although this year it might have worked the other way. I mean, you know, the the more kids that were hanging out there till the, you know, till the end, um, you know, if you see what's happened with uh, – the Pac-12 and the SEC recruiting in California now. Um, the longer they have to, you know, to pick guys off, uh, you know, the worse it might have been this year. So, uh, so the early signing day may have worked in USC's favor a little bit uh, uh, this year, just based on all the circumstances uh, that we all talk about too much. No, I think and there's some good points in there, Dan. Too, I, I think it probably worked against them as much as for them. But U.S. the way USC's recruited over the years, they were late closers. There's some like if you remember like Mac Brown in Texas, they they finished their class like early signing period would have been awesome for Mac Brown. But for yep. Florida State, they would have top five classes, but they finished really late. And USC was always that way. Get a whole bunch of guys late. I don't think they jumped on it, and re, I don't think they realized the change in the dynamic the first year. But it didn't really hurt them. They still had a lot of guys left. They could get five-star guys on you know, on the February signing day. This year, that wasn't the case. There's just not as many guys left. The one five-star you did sign is now transferred out to, to Texas. And, you know, you're just trying to hang on to, to what you got. And you're basically adding on some plan B and plan C guys. But when USC normally could come in with a lot of success and a lot of recruits available, they could make a bunch of guys switch at the end. You can't really do that now. So I think specifically it's hurt USC more than probably most schools. And But I do see your point that maybe this year with all the turmoil and stuff, maybe it actually helped them out a little bit. But I, I think in general, it's not been a good thing for, for USC. Just the way they've recruited doesn't really match up with the way this structure is. 
Well, and they haven't adjusted. Let's face it, uh, they're way understaffed in terms of recruiting you know, personnel and in terms of the number of coaches that are willing to go out there and really beat the bushes. Uh, so you got the two things uh, going together that work against USC. I think they needed to uh, adjust in terms of uh, uh, staffing in the uh, recruiting office, and they didn't, and they haven't, and they haven't replaced guys that have left. Uh, so, you know, they've got guys on the road that, you know, aren't, you know, the kind of people that most schools have on the road. And um, I think they've got to, you know, figure out, if you're going to coach your USC, I think you've got to be willing to be on the road recruiting uh, your position and recruiting, you know, your side of the football. And, uh, I mean, I was really encouraged by uh, Graham Harrell uh, coming in, you know, and going from the airport to modern day. Uh, I, I thought, you know, maybe that his first stop before he went anywhere else. And uh, I think that's really encouraging. I think, Every coach has to be able to do that, and uh, I don't think we've seen that. I think USC's got to work harder at it and 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 smarter. Uh, but uh, this is a you know this was a year to figure it all out because everything that could go wrong had pretty much uh, gone wrong. Yeah. And uh, we we need to see some more commitment uh, to to doing what you have to do now to recruit, and we still haven't seen that uh, from USC. No, hundred percent agree. It was a it was an imbalance as far as how which coaches some coaches shouldered a lot more of the burden than others, and you could definitely see that. Um, and you know what happened? And they're not, and they're not here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the support staff people are doing a lot. You know, they're doing a lot more on their plate. Um, the Gavin Morris's of the world, their existence. I mean, they're doing a lot more uh, than you really should be doing. They need more people. Uh, to be doing all that, but you met, you mentioned uh, modern day. I'm going to play you a voicemail question uh, because it had modern day in it. So I'll play it for you. Hi, this question is for uh, Dan and crew. Um, I'm a modern day alum. Played there. Played with Matt Leinard, and um, just I think it's amazing to me that you have two of the best football programs in the nation, based here in or uh, in the LA Orange County area. One of them coached by a uh, USC alum, and neither one is sending uh, a recruit. Now that boy is going to Texas, neither one is sending a, a recruit to USC. Um, I don't know what that says about the program. Uh, if, you, if you can't get one modern-day football player to go US, to USC, you can't recruit. That is insane. All right, uh, go Monarchs. Okay, I think the the problem there is uh, because, you know, USC knows modern day so well, modern day knows USC so well, and the same with uh, Bosco. Uh, when things go, uh, go south the way they have at USC, those folks know about it better than anybody. So uh, you could see, I mean, obviously the year before, uh, pretty good effort, you know, from modern day. Uh, maybe in the you know the next year uh, we might see that again. But yeah, it's kind of a downside when you say, "Man, California high school football is awfully good." Uh, you know, number one, maybe number two teams in the nation right here, and you don't get anybody. Uh, that's a that's a big problem, and it, it, you know it's a reflection of, of where USC football went in the past year and the disorganization and the disunity and the just totally underperforming and. Uh, that's the penalty you pay when, you know, but yeah, obviously, uh, USC should be living on, uh, you know, 
Modern Day and uh, and Bosco and and uh, Corona Centennial and you know Bishop Gorman and and some of those relationships aren't as good as as you would like and and I think that's a real worry. USC has to figure out how to do that. I thought I thought the end. Uh, looking back at the Lane Kiffin era, I thought the end came for Lane before the tarmacking. It was when uh, when he wasn't welcome at a lot of high schools in in Southern California that he became kind of persona non grata. And once you took away, uh, you know, his ability to recruit here, I I thought it made it really, really difficult. And his future, you know, was already determined once that started to happen. But uh, you can't burn those bridges and you got to keep those people close to you. And those people, if they're close to you and they're looking at your program and saying, I don't like what I see. That's the downside, you know, of keeping people close to you. And this year is a good example of that. Well, we got a lot of uh, questions to get to. Uh, before we do, I just want to, we have a new sponsor here on the Peristyle Podcast, uh, Mint Mobile. So happy to work with them. Uh, there are a lot of things in life that aren't right. Carpet in the showers, you don't want that. Eating dip with your fingers. Chunky style milk, paying too much for your phone bill. Now that's not right. But thanks to Mint Mobile, you don't have to overpay for wireless anymore. They reimagined the wireless shopping experience and made it easy and online only, which means they can pass significant savings directly to you. For a limited time, they're offering two months free when you buy your first month. So that's the promo right now. Two months free when you buy your first month. $20 total for three months of wireless. So it's going to be a lot cheaper than whatever you're paying now. Uh, It's only going to be a limited time, so make sure you jump on this. The $20 total will get you three months of wireless service. That has eight gigabytes of 4G LTE data each month plus unlimited nationwide talk and text. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. So you can keep your old number along with all your old contacts. They run on the the nation's fastest, most advanced LTE network. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. So here's what you want to do. To take advantage of this amazing deal before it's gone, you just pay 20 bucks for your first month and you'll get two months free. Go to mintmobile.com slash usc that's mintmobile.com slash usc to get three months of premium premium wireless service for just 20 bucks mintmobile.com slash usc i just got my care package in the mail and it's pretty cool it got some mint mobile socks and a coffee mug and some beer koozies and a t-shirt and stuff and the, and the chip so i'm gonna be trying that out now but it's uh it's pretty neat so check check out mint mobile yeah hey that's pretty cool uh they were on the, their ad was on the Super Bowl Sunday. So yeah, they, they had a Super, the Super Bowl, Bowl ad. to our podcast. So uh, <laughs> good, good job by them. That big time when they go from Super Bowl all the way up to the Peristyle podcast. Yeah. Only the best. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It's just a real quick side note because I told Keely before I, my but what my old roommate here he went to Harvard and stuff. He's the president of Mint Mobile or he was the president of Mint Mobile. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. I, no, no, that's not how we got the ad or anything. I just. I'm like, oh, wait, that's your company. It's like, yeah. He's like, oh, he told me about the box they sent and stuff. So it's kind of it's kind of funny. Um, Very cool. But Keely, do you, so are there any recruiting questions we want to go, or we want to switch some topics there? We have one recruiting question. It actually came from a voicemail that we got during the live show. Okay. Uh, it's from DJ from LA, and he says uh, he's actually concerned about USC's ability to c- recruit the inner cities. He says that's something that Pete Carroll uh, did very well. He was able to relate to those kids. Um, he asked, can this current staff relate to the inner city kids like Pete Carroll once did? You know, I wouldn't differentiate in terms of, uh, you know, inner city or suburban or exurban or, you know, farm kids or whoever. I just think they got to relate to everybody. Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't, you know, 
I don't, I don't see that as a problem. I, I, I really don't. I, I just think, you know, I, I think more of the problem is you'd like to see, uh, you know, the L.A. Uh, uh, you know, schools maybe, uh, you know, produce, you know, more, more prospects. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. I was looking at a list the other day of the top 20 all-time NFL producers, uh, high schools in America. And I believe both Crenshaw and Dorsey are on that list for historic total number of NFL players from your high school for all time. And you'd like to see, you know, that continue as, as much as possible. L.A. Is, is, is a very big part of, you know, the all-time, uh, you know, high school producers of, uh, of NFL players, for example. So, uh, so I think I don't know that there's any differentiation between this staff in any one, you know, demographic group. Uh, I just think they got to relate to all of, the, all of those groups uh, better. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would. Uh, it's funny. I think Long Beach Poly is the most, has put the most NFL players of all time. Um, but and I think they yeah. are the most now, even maybe still. Probably still, they're, yeah. They're hanging in there. But yeah, to, to hear yeah. like Dorsey and, uh, and Crenshaw, you have like, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, like the number two ranked player in the country was at Dorsey, you know, when he was younger and then transferred to a, you know, a different school. So you're like, Oaks. yeah, went up to Oaks. So that's uh, that, that would have happened back in the day, but it's happened a little bit more now, unfortunately. Yeah. That does explain a good bit of it. Yep. Cool. So we have another, uh, Live show voicemail from Corey from Pasadena, and he wants to know if Graham Harrell can change practice since he has more experience and uh, experience as a system, uh, air raid system, as an offensive coordinator. He says, was the practice problem T. Martin not being experienced with no system and not knowing how to practice properly? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I just listened to his voicemail, too, and just uh, he felt that like Graham had a system. So okay. they, were, they were practicing to the system. So I probably didn't write. I didn't know. I didn't okay. paraphrase that very well. Paraphrase it very well. Blame Ryan. for what So it was more. Up. Yeah. So it was more like he would practice for the system where T Martin was new to the position and they didn't really, they had the gumbo system. So you weren't really practicing with a purpose, I guess you could say, but any thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah. I think what they were doing is they were practicing plays, not a system. And they weren't practicing to play. They were practicing to run plays. And I think there were too many people with inputs into what plays are we going to run. So it was kind of look at the paper and look at the diagrams and let's go over the play. Instead of, that's not how football is played. Football, you know, if you're doing it right, you know, kind of free-flowing and, and you keep moving and you got tempo and, you, you know, you practice at game speed and we didn't see that. Uh, I do think there were too many people involved in the offense, and I don't think it was any one person's offense. And uh, I think now they're in a situation where it's going to be one person. That's the, the the benefit of Kingsbury and then Harrell is they're bringing in an entire offense that's theirs. They don't need any input from you know the other people. Now they need obviously buy-in from the. You know, Tim Drevno, the offensive line coach, uh, Mike Jenks, the running back coach, has already been in the system. Kerry Colbert, we'll see how that, you know, how that works in terms of, uh, you know, one wide receiver coach. But, uh, but I do think uh, Graham Harrell will have very much of an input and control of how practice is run on offense. And I think I mean, that's what the, one of the good things for the, the video we got 
from uh, North Texas practice last spring is just to see how he, you know, would coach him up from the quarterbacks alone to the quarterbacks and the receivers and the quarterbacks and, you know, or, excuse me, then the, you know, the full 11. Uh, and and I, I, I want to see that from the, the offensive coordinator. I want to see him putting it all together and running it at the speed and the tempo and practice that he needs to run it at. And I think that's a, you have a good sense of, of Kingsbury and Harrell understanding how you have to run, what kind of precision and how, you know, how fast you have to run it. And it's not like running a bunch of plays. It's running your offense. And I think that'll help the defense in a lot of ways, just, you know, playing, playing faster to play off of that. Uh, now, you know, people will say, well, what about the, what about the Stanford game or whatever? You know, yeah, you're going to have to adjust. There are some, there are some uh, things that your defense is going to have to adjust uh, practicing with that kind of an offense. But, uh, but on balance, I think it's, it's just much, much better that you're going to have a guy with his system and his understanding of how that system has to run in practice so that he can run it in games. And, and as we've said a lot, there's been too much of what seems to be a disconnect between how they approach practice and how games have to be approached. And, and you want to see that. That was the, the thing that Pete Carroll I thought understood better than anything. It was the thing he did best. His practices replicated games. His practices got you ready for games, got you more than ready for games. And that has to, that has to return. Now, I think that's the key you know, with bringing in a, a Graham Harrell. Yeah, I think it's a good way to put it. They're not practicing plays. Like at North Texas, you're practicing the offense, and Gerard br- brings this up a bunch. He brought it up during our live show, where like if you're going to run some of the, the zone read, mesh stuff, it's not like, okay, it would be like, okay, here's the option. This is what you do in the option. The quarterback moves here, and then if this guy's – like you can't talk about it. Like you, yeah. have to, you have to beat that into your brain and run it over and over and over and over again, and that's not something that USC was really doing. So I think when Graham Harrell, as long as they let him practice the way – he wants the offense to practice. He knows how to do that. He's running the system, and it's like this is what you do. This is where the read is. You're, you're, it's quick, and you know everyone's moving. So I, I do think practices will be improved as long as he has the authority to like you know to dictate how they run. I mean, he's going to say this is how we have to do it, and I think what you're doing is you're developing muscle memory so that it's it's kind of an instantaneous read and react as opposed to you know what does the uh, playbook say we're supposed to do here. Uh, and, and, and you've got to get everybody on the same page. And the only way to do that is you just run it over and over and over and over and over again and do it at the speed you're going to be doing it uh, at during the game. So, you know, I'm, I'm very much – that's one of the reasons I – you know, I think USC's personnel is, is, is by far better for the air raid than anything they've got for good reasons and bad reasons. Uh, but I think the other part of that is they have to practice – the way they're going to play games. And that's the other really positive part of bringing in the air raid. So we got an email from Randall from orange. He says, since Graham Harrell is arriving so late compared to a normal new offensive coordinator hire and not having as much time to install his new offense prior to a typical USC start date for spring practice. Is there a rule stating that the lat the latest spring practice can begin and or end? By the way, you know, I think they could go later, but they're not. They're actually going a little earlier. Yeah, uh, they could. Arizona State started already. Like wow. spring football has started before signing day. So that you have a pretty big 
I think there's a pretty big window there. So they could definitely delay it a couple of weeks. They just, that's the way they've always done it. So that's the way, yeah. Clay Helton doesn't change things. So that's not. Well, speaking yeah. of Arizona State, did you guys see how they're going to practice full tackling with only helmets? No. <laughs> you haven't seen this? Yeah. No. That's, their defensive coordinator said that. So. It's yeah, I like, like that. backyard. You know, well, you know what else that is? That's, that's, that's teaching them the rugby-style tackle, which yeah. I think Pete Carroll has certainly, uh, you know, flirted with, uh, and it takes a lot of the pressure off the, uh, you know, the helmet then becomes uh, a more of a protective uh, device than a, you know, than a weapon, you know, you know, than a, you know a, a blunt instrument. And, you know, I think that's where football has to go. I think tackling has to, has to go away. That was, the, you know, the downfall. You know, when they went away from leather helmets, Everybody thought, oh, boy, you know, suspension and the Riddell helmets. And then they came up with a face mask and they're, they're whatever. And I don't think they realized, if you watch the old film, uh, it was much safer in a lot of ways. I mean, there were, you know, when they ran the, the flying wedge and all that, where they, everybody on one team, they, they, uh, offenses didn't have to be set. They could, all 11 guys could become, could run up to the line of scrimmage. Uh, didn't have to stop and didn't have to set. They just kept running, and they would pick the weakest guy on the other team, and they're all wearing these little flimsy leather helmets. and And that's the year uh, six or seven players got killed in college football. Whoa! And that's when uh, President Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, stepped in and said, "No more of this." Okay, so uh, eventually uh, the the leather helmets got better and got some suspension in them and all that, but they never really protected your head all that well so you know the tackles and the blocking were all to the side and uh more like uh more like the uh, rugby is played and then they they came up with the riddell suspension helmet and which you know hasn't been changed all that much i mean all they've done a lot of different things but you're basically in a, a, a mostly a suspension helmet and then when they put the face mask on and every everybody felt invincible and and Football is still kind of dealing with those issues of, uh, uh, you know, they give you a lot more protection, but then they allow you to use the helmet and your head as, as kind of a battering ram. So uh, that's interesting. I, I'm give Arizona State credit. That's, I, I mean, I, I would like to see all of college football go, you know, to that sort of tackling so that you do not have people just coming right through with their helmet. And they're going to have to eventually. It's just a matter of, when is that going to happen and how is it going to happen? But I'd like to see them teach the, the rugby tackle uh, as, as much as possible. I think it's a better tackle and it's safer. It just isn't quite as macho, uh, you know, and, and, and sort of intimidating. But, uh, but that's where football is going. But, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, because their defensive coordinator said that, like, now that they have spring to establish their culture and whatnot, they're, they really focused – after the season ended on what can they do to improve tackling and whatnot. And they're going to have a former uh, rugby coach on hand while they do this. So it's like, it's going to be in a controlled environment, but yeah. that's how they're addressing culture and tackling issues, which I think is, they do. They're doing it different there. Yeah. They're definitely like, you can argue good, bad or whatever, but they, they wanted to do it differently than other people and they are doing it differently. You yeah. Know? That might be a recruiting advantage eventually. If you can document, uh, you know, safety issues, uh, fewer concussions, things like that. Uh, you got to be better tacklers, though. I mean, that's the thing. You know, if it helps improve your tackling and uh, decreases uh, concussions, for example, uh, that's because if you did it that way, the helmets are really good enough, and all the protective stuff is totally, uh, you know, safe 
if you if you tackle in a you know in a safe manner, uh, you could really you know uh, take the concussions down a, a lot. Now the the close in bang you know the lineman against lineman. Um, not sure how that's you know how you you know factor that in, but but good for Arizona State. I'm glad to see any kind of experimentation in that area to keep football going and not have people be so afraid of uh, of having their kids play football. So back to Randall's question, he so there's no he wants to know if there's anything dictating when USC de- determines their spring dates. I think it's I think weather to some extent, you know, it doesn't matter here. I mean, if you go, you know, the farther back east, uh, weather I think really impacts them um as far as when they start. Uh here there's no there's no impact at all for every year that I've been here, I think USC and, and UCLA, all, I mean, um, UCLA always was a week behind, so that the spring games were like one Saturday, then the next Saturday. Now that, you know, the spring games are almost a thing of the, you know, the past, and UCLA and USC this year, I think, are going to go the exact same, um, you know, weeks. Um, and, and I guess the other thing that impacts them is spring break. Uh, but, um but yeah, USC can kind of do it whenever they want. I mean, you got to do it before the end of end of the semester, and you probably don't want them practicing when they're going to be taking you know finals and all that. So you got those kinds of uh, uh, you know things that impact it. But uh, but I don't think there's other than that. I don't think there's much um, you know thing that you know controls you when you have to do it and when you have to have it. Randall says, "P.S. I'm still waiting for Dan's book signing at the Trader Joe's in Tustin." Ooh, hadn't thought about that. Oh, that reminds me though. I'm gonna bring. I've got some. Uh, uh, have a nice five dollar discount uh, tomorrow. If you want to buy one of the books, uh, Miracle Moments in USC Trojan Football History, and we will note there are no moments uh, from the uh, 2018 season in the uh, in the book, uh, and you will get a five dollar discount if you if you want to want to buy a book uh if you come by uh, uh come by tomorrow at the at the lab we'll have some but yeah we got to do that we got to see see uh if the guys at tustin will will let us come by and have a book signing that'd I think, be a good idea i think we know someone that could make that happen so <laughs> happen <laughs> So we have an email from Stevie Sanchez who says, one, does Graham Harrell's experience or lack thereof worry you guys? And two, did Harrell really turn down the UNC job or was USC his only option? He did turn down the I believe USC he job. Did. Yeah. yeah. He I did. believe so. I think Mac, I think that's a very, very difficult situation, the UNC job. I, I just think, uh, and Graham and Mac Brown is kind of grabbing at straws. And, I, you know, I, I know people say, oh, you should talk. USC and UNC, but, uh, but I could see him, you know, not, not wanting to go there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know that his lack of experience, I like the fact that he played three years or so for the Packers. I like the fact that he just got to, somebody mentioned the, you know, in a post that he got to hang out with Aaron Rodgers. Um, I like it that, you know, he's uh, thrown for most, more touchdowns than anybody in college football and the second most yards and all that. I like it that he coached wide receivers for Mike Leach at uh, at Washington State. Mike Leach was his coach, uh, so I like a lot of things about him. And I like it, you know, he had to come in at North Texas, where when you watch him on video, he don't have a lot of a lot of talent. Not, not like, and yet uh, the last two years, he's really done. You know, they gave him the offense and said go to it, 
and he's done, I thought, you know, some really good things. And, and uh, they basically turned it over to, even though their head coach is an offensive minded guy, uh, turned the offense over to him. And I, I, I think it's very comparable to his situation here, only with better athletes. And uh, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how, how it works uh, with the kind of athletes that, that he's going to have a chance to work with. Uh, so, so I think his, I think his experience is fine. Uh, related, we had a text from someone who didn't leave their name. Uh, they say, how much do you guys actually feel like Harold is a Mike Leach prodigy with only two years as a wide receivers coach under his offense? How much time did it actually give Harold to soak up Leach's air raid concepts? Like Dan said, he threw for more touchdowns than anybody when he was learning from Mike Leach. So I think he he understands what Leach he, wants. He played. He <laughs> played for Mike Leach. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. But I think it's interesting. Kingsbury, both of those guys, are Mike Leach, uh, you know, products. But they don't do it the same way as Mike Leach. They have more ability, I think, to integrate the running backs and uh, and and. Uh, and run the ball if they've got that kind of talent or, uh, or more of a, you know, converting a uh, tight end to an H-back, but throw in there. Uh, so I, I think they actually have a little more flexibility in what they do offensively, which I think, you know, is good for the USC situation. I'm not sure, you know, you can have that, maybe that kind of flexibility with uh, the players that are available to you at Washington State, and you've got to do one thing and really do it well. But uh, but no, I like uh, I like his uh, I like his being part of the tree, uh, the Mike Leach tree, and I like it that, that he's gone in a, a different direction. I think both of those are good things. So we're in the feisty question portion of the podcast. The feisty questions, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing. We got two questions of the same type of uh, theme. Lloyd Caddy and Stevie Sanchez says. If Pender- Clancy Pendergrass is a good defensive coordinator and Graham Harrell is a good offensive play caller, what does Helton have to offer as a coach to this team? And then Lloyd said something to the same effect and said, basically, what's Helton's job if he's not doing uh, anything else besides being the head coach? <laughs> well, I mean, I think you can, you can demand uh, discipline. You can be demanding of your coaches. I mean, there was a reason, and again, please do not say I'm making this comparison. But there was a reason Bear Bryant was able to go up in that famous tower of his and coach the team, because he had assistant coaches, most of all who had played for him, who knew exactly what he wanted, and they got it done. Now, every once in a while he'd come down off that tower, and you just hope he wasn't coming for you. But, uh, uh, I, you know, I don't think, you know, head coaches, administrator kind of, uh, Bear Bryant always said, my job is to coach my coaches. My coach's job is to coach my players. I don't know that that's the wrong, wrong way to go here at all, uh, to be honest. I, I don't think it helped a lot. Uh, you know, Clay was an offensive guy, and I don't think it helped a lot the way the offense went together in terms of the involvement of the head coach and everybody else that was involved. Um, so, so I think that's a good thing. And, and it, you know, I think he's talking about the right things. Uh, his job will be to focus on, you know, discipline and, uh, you know, technique and fundamentals and eliminating penalties and all that. That's great. What are you going to do about it? How do you do that? How do you make that happen? You can't hope it's going to happen. You can't say it's happening when it's not happening. I think, 
you know, what I would like to see with Clay is a reality-based Clay, where he looks at what is happening and is able to say, this is what didn't happen. This is why it didn't happen. And this is what's going to have to happen, or I'm really going to be unhappy about what we're doing here. I think that's, you know, if he can go into that mode, I mean, it's not going to be easy. And to ask somebody to change how they are this far into their career is really, that's a, that's a tough stretch. Uh, but I think he's got a better chance if he's kind of removed from having to be more directly involved with the, uh, you know, with the play calling and, and uh, you know, all of the other stuff that uh, it didn't work out, to be honest. Continuing the snarky portion of the podcast, Rob in Santa Clara says, listening to the podcast this past week discussing Helton's written statement, why are you not calling out Tim Teslone? He's just as bad as Clay Helton and Lynn Swan, but you never criticize this has been, has been. Get off his lap, you lapdog. He's Rob, a hall- Rob in Santa Clara. He's a Hall of Famer. He's in the USC Hall of Fame, sport, like Sports Information Hall of Fame. He's, He's in the SID Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I that, that's a little like kill. You know, the, the whole kill the messenger. No, it's it's not the messenger. Come on. Uh, you know, not in this case. I mean, when they're you know putting statements out and all of that. I mean, I don't know that we disagree with the statement. I think what what people disagree with is can you make that statement happen? Do you really understand what that statement means? If you understand what you're saying in that statement. What does that require you to do? Uh, and that gets past Tim's areas of, of expertise. So he's not coaching them. Um, and so, uh, you know, would we like to have them a little more available? Yeah. Uh, would we not like to have seen them go into bunker mode, you know, since uh, you know, we've seen them, seen them once since the end of the season, right? Uh, at early signing day. That was it. And, uh, that's probably not enough uh, availability, and there hasn't been much availability with with Lance Swan as well. And uh, that you know you would probably like to encourage Tim to uh, encourage them to be more available. But uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't get on Tim for the statement. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's like. Sports information is different than PR, and I think there's some PR things that have fallen into the sports information office's uh, lap that's maybe not their area of expertise. But it's, uh, you know, I I think there's decisions being made above Tim Tessalone that, you know, to say he's worse (laughs) than Swan. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, whatever. There's some people that don't like Tim. Uh, We all get along with Tim. We, we, We definitely bump heads with Tim a lot. And, you know, that's that, you know, but that's a professional thing where, but, you know, we, we respect what they do and everything. And uh, I think they respect, you know, what we do, but there's, yeah, I, I don't think Tim is like the, the main problem there, I would say, but. I know as a former SID myself, I, I do think that part of the job is convincing the people above you that you are the expert and you have the sense of, how this has to be presented and when it has to be pre- presented and why and all of that. I, I would maybe like to see that happen a little bit more at, at USC in terms of uh, presentation. And yet we have to say this USC's football players in general are 
so much more available and so much more open and so much more skilled at at talking to us and answering our questions. I mean, uh, one of the best educations that USC football players get is in dealing with us. And uh, you can look at them when they're in the NFL, or you can look at them when they're seniors or whatever. USC kids handle this well. Now, that may be just a factor of they're part of USC and USC kids in general. Um, you know, I mean, I watch the news. If you're from somewhere else and you watch the news in Southern California and you realize almost everybody they interview uh, on news, you know, is it, is pretty good at it. You know, they they they. So it, maybe it's kind of a Southern California thing too, that ability. But uh, USC does a good job there. I think those kids, you know, as long as they don't get too nervous about, um, you know, keeping kids away. And they don't do it as much as, as a lot of places. So I think I give them good marks there. The, the, the kids get good experience, and, and we get pretty good. We maybe like a little more time, but we get pretty good access to, to the players. And they, they get to practice doing it. You know, in other schools, like you don't get to. Like Johnny Manziel like won the Heisman, and no one could talk to him all year because he was like a redshirt. There was some rule. Kyler Murray had a pretty terrible interview on uh, the Dan Patrick oh, show. Yeah. Like, I don't think a USC player is going to come out and do that. So that you, you can say what you want, but USC players usually come out, like Dan said, uh, much better prepared. They do well at the, the, you know, the combine things, all the interview stuff. If you want to say they're not strong enough or whatever, that's fine. That's not Tim Tesla. And like, they come out and they speak well. And I think that, you know, that's, that's helped. That's helped by Tim and his crew. Yeah. And the other thing of uh, USC's assistant coaches are available. And for example, at Alabama, uh, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, they are not available. You may not talk to any assistant coach. And, and it's hurt them, I think. Uh, I've seen some of them who will get a head coaching job because they're an assistant coach at Alabama. And then, you know, here they are facing the media, and you think, oh, my gosh, this guy's never done this before. <laughs> it's like, is this your first time? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I that's, that's the, Yeah. So, so from that standpoint, USC – does a good job uh, they really do uh, and we got to give them credit and for as much as we bash on practice we can still see practice which other yeah. reporters at other right. programs cannot do true at least for now <sighs> crush fingers <laughs> crush fingers hopefully they put in a good word lloyd caddy says do you think sc has a good enough talent on the o-line to really become a good run blocking and pass protection line under neil calloway they look confused I think the, the the thing that attracts me about the air raid is I think they have the talent to be a pretty good air raid protection line. I mean, I think that a lot of that is just knowing what you're doing and doing it enough and getting, you know, they definitely have enough talent to be able, I mean, they've got as much talent, you know, as a, as a program like Washington state, which protects really well. Now Washington state's developed some really good uh, offensive linemen in the last few years you know, guys that certainly weren't, you know, the top recruits. So, uh, so I'm optimistic there in terms of, of, of being a run first team. Uh, no, uh, this team, these offensive linemen, uh, haven't developed. I don't think the explosive punch and that kind of power and whether that's, you know, all on, uh, on the strength, uh, program and the nutrition program and, and just the general, uh, you know, lackadaisical effort somewhat at practice and all of that. Uh, but I think it's a quicker fix to be able to, uh, to pass block. 
uh, and that's you, know, you got to know what you're doing. You got to know who's going to pick up who, and all of these kinds of things. But uh, but I think they've got a better chance there. And then you know you want them to be able to be more in the you know mold of the classic uh, USC programs with offensive linemen that can really <clears throat> you know knock you down the field. Uh, but I don't think that happens overnight. I don't think it happens the first year. But uh, um, but I think they, I think they can be a good run blo- or pass block team, and I think they can with the running backs they've got, and as pass conscious as you're going to force the defense to be, I think they can be able to run the ball. Uh, I do, and I do think they're probably going to do a lot more throwing the ball to the, you know, the running backs. Uh, I thought that was a tremendous, you know, both the tight ends and the running backs just were so underserved in terms of this offense. And, and I think they've got an awful lot of guys that can catch the ball. And, you know, it's kind of like a long handoff. But uh, but they're going to have to do that a lot. And then I think if you get teams really pass conscious and they're going to drop eight back, you've got to be able to run the ball on them. And I think they will be able to. But, uh, but yeah, I would not come out this year and say we're going to be Stanford uh, and we're going to, you know, knock your block off or whatever. Uh, they're not. We have a we had a voicemail question on the transfer portal, or like Gerard likes to say, transfer porthole. And I think uh, I think our buddy Curtis says that a little bit in this voicemail too. But I'll play it for you and then get your thoughts. Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. This is for Dan. Dan, uh, you didn't act like you like the transfer portal for USC. There are good people in the transport portal. Excuse me, the transport portal, but. I have two words for you. Stevie Tui Kuluvatu. We got him in the transfer portal. He wasn't satisfied with his playing time. He could have been a problem. We didn't know. That's the chance you take with some of these guys. But he became our best defensive lineman. In fact, the leader of the whole defensive line in one year, his first year, he immediately became the leader. He got the MVP in the Rose Bowl as a nose tackle. How do you do that? Transfer. That's how we got him. It can work. It just depends on who you get and how you handle it. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Yeah, Curtis, if there are any more Stevies out there, I know well, we knew that here's where we knew. The first time we saw Stevie at a summer workout and we found out he was sleeping in his car and how much he wanted to, you know, transfer and watching him work out, he wasn't even allowed to work at, uh, you know, the portion uh, where the uh, strength the conditioning part where the coaches were there. So he was working out, you know, on, on the field next door just to, uh, and, uh, you know, still had his Utah gear on and all that. I mean, yeah, those guys are available. I don't know if you ever could expect that you get somebody like Stevie T uh, to transfer in the way he did. He made it all the right reasons. He had the right, you know, grad school program, the uh, uh, gerontology. Uh, you know, he was he was, you know, married. He had all the, you know, so much going for him. Uh, yeah, if you can find those guys in there, I don't know if you find them in a transfer portal. I think they got to kind of find you uh, and you know figure out. I want to go, you know, because I I see an opportunity there. And he you know, he saw USC for all the right reasons. And uh, but yeah, 
you can come up with those. Uh, uh, the transfer portal is uh, couldn't be a better place. Uh, USC ought to measure, I guess, all potential transfers against TVT. Um, they just couldn't could not ask for anything more. We have a question from we had two questions from Chris Monge, I believe that's how you say his last name. It would have been a great transition after the last conversation we had, but he says, <laughs> "Does heightened media presence and scrutiny at USC impact the football team and program?" Oh. Well, Pete Carroll always thought that it was really a plus. He wanted people. I mean, he you know he wanted general public there. He wanted as many people there as possible because he thought he felt like you got to perform. Uh, you know, before crowds and people and under pressure in games, why not do it at practice? Uh, uh, you know, we, you would hope so. I mean, a lot of people don't think, you know, that's not the, the you know, the way of uh, modern college football. And I do, I do, I did know a guy who got a job at the Cleveland paper to cover Ohio State. And he saw him, I think he said 20 minutes his first year covering Ohio State, uh, saw 20 minutes of practice. So, uh, yeah, there there are a lot of people go go the other direction. Um, I mean, I think it's good that 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 tradition is in place at USC. Uh, to be honest, if I were on the USC coaching staff, and and this is not to blow up at all what we do, I would pay attention just because we've seen how things go year after year. We've seen other coaches. We've seen other stuff. And we can probably give you something to at least think about uh, in terms of how things are going. Um, And somebody not connected to the program directly who can, you know, who doesn't have to tell you what you want to hear or tell you what you're going to hear and all that. Uh, So, so I don't know. I hope uh, hope (laughs) that it, you know, that that can, you know, continue in that way and, uh, and have this sense of, um, you know, we're not just, I mean, I know starting out, I, I still remember all the stories about Kentucky basketball when I was a little kid under the, you know, great Adolf Rupp and no one was allowed anywhere near the building when they were practicing and nobody, um, uh, uh, in the same way with Indiana, you know, Bobby Knight. And, uh, I think I've gotten, I got kicked out of both of those coaches practices when I was a well, as a kid for Rupp and then uh, with Bobby Knight, and they would not tolerate anybody in the building. I mean, they just, you were not allowed around. I don't know if that if that's the way to go. I tend to think not, but, uh, but I'm prejudiced. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things, too, as far as heightened media presence at USC, there's a lot of media there. It's mostly online now. We've talked about that. It's, it's you know, it's changed a lot. But it's also not the only game in town. So if you're covering Tuscaloosa, Alabama, like maybe you don't have the LA Times there, but every paper in the in the whole state is going to be covering it. Spring football is like the biggest deal in the world. Like where it's that's not the case at USC. You're talking about the Lakers. There'll be notes about spring football somewhere, but that's you know, it's not in the top ten. Like the USC football story won't be in the top five or top ten at the time because there's all these other things going on in LA. LA's such a pro market. And USC has been able to fend themselves, you know, be a big part of that and be up in the top stories. Even the whole Graham Harrell, all that crazy stuff. They were up there 
uh, with some of the Super Bowl stories with the Rams because it's more of the dysfunction of what was going on. Um, but there's, it's a, there is a difference there too, where it's not the only game in town. So you don't get the same, it's a different kind of coverage, uh, than you would get even in a small place like Tuscaloosa. Yeah. And they have no choice, but to cover you, uh, in Tuscaloosa, if, if, you, if USC shuts them out, it's not a biggie for them. They got plenty of other stuff to cover. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the media can just go away. And that's, that can't be a good thing. Uh, so I think you have a different, you know, circumstance. There aren't a lot of great college football programs in major metropolitan areas. They've kind of, you know, receded. Uh, and USC and UCLA are really, uh, uh, they're unusual. LA is an unusual market that you've had, you know, USC and UCLA. Uh, survive the way they have in a major metropolitan area. It just doesn't happen much. Uh, so, so I think they've got to have a, a media strategy that, that deals with that and takes that into, you know, consideration. And even, you know, when Pete was, was here, Pete didn't have to deal with, uh, uh, the Rams and the Chargers. And now you do. And, uh, I mean, the one year, it was amazing. Matt Leinert's, uh, Heisman Trophy year, he was the most famous athlete in Los Angeles, counting everybody. I mean, it was just one of those weird years, and he was like the number one guy. I mean, and, and that could never happen now. But uh, uh, so it's it's an interesting interesting situation. USC and and the media and Los Angeles and and the changing market and all of that. It's uh, I don't think we know all the answers, but uh, I think openness and understanding the media and all that is, is really important for USC. Chris also asks, uh, if you guys were given an opportunity to advise the program staff and head coach, what infrastructure changes would you suggest? Well, I think, um, I think nutrition has to, has to have more people working. When you look at the top programs around the country and Alabama, Notre Dame, Michigan, you know, those, those programs, they really work, work at having, uh, you know, individualized nutrition programs and having nutrition available, uh, basically all hours of the day. And, uh, and just, you know, there's nothing they can't do more of. So uh, that'd be one, obviously numbers of, re- you know, recruiting staff and, and number, you know, of, contacts and, you know, intersecting, you know, with players and all of that, uh, behind the scenes, uh, I think is, is tremendously important. And that's, that's mostly just people. And, you know, Clemson does it with a bunch of, you know, staffers and then also like 40, uh, you know, student volunteers. Um, uh, they're just all different ways you can do it, but, uh, uh, you gotta do it. And then, uh, obviously the weight, weight program where they have to be, I think, um, I think the way, the, the strength and conditioning, co- and whether that's considered in- infrastructure, that part of the program has to be run by a guy who I think in a lot of ways is the second most, or is the most important assistant coach, uh, because he's got more time with the players than any of the, the football coaches do. And if you look at a lot of these, you know, great programs now, they've got a, a you know, a strength, a strength boss uh, for football, dedicated to football, who is really the face of that program in a lot of ways and the personality and the heart of the program. 
And USC has to figure out how to get that done. Uh, he can't just be an administrator over <coughs> 21 programs and all of that kind of thing. It's really got to be football is what matters most for, for a college, for college uh, you know, inter, intercollegiate athletic program. And, and you got to get the football thing right with the, and it's got to be, uh, you know, tough and demanding. And uh, they had a list of all the qualifications that they want. Uh, and it's a good, good list. Uh, one would hope that it was already, you know, in play. Uh, but then that, that person has to have the authority and he has to have the hammer. And I'm not sure that we've seen that where uh, you hear reports that other teams take their, you know, weight training more seriously than the football team does. Um, that can't be. So that's where I'd go. Ryan? Yeah, no, I uh, I think that's all good. I The support staff to me is the biggest uh, deficiency. And, you know, we put some stuff in the war room. The, the, the uh, John McKay Center was built back basically, they designed it for the 2010 Lane Kiffin staff where this is before the support staff wars happened. There's not a lot of room in that building. So you really, it's like, it would be dedication to figuring out what you have to do, bringing those people in, putting them in the right spot that everyone could communicate and all that and making sure you're used to doing it this bare bones way. It wouldn't just be hiring a bunch of people, but changing your philosophy and going, okay, so if we, what if we tripled our staff, how could that impact things? How do we communicate? What would they do? Well, well, you know, how would that work? Because everyone has their own idea of what they need to do now. So I think that it would not just be hiring more people. It's really changing the way you think about what this, they're thinking about the sports staff being like recruiters on the road. And like, you have to stop thinking that way. They need to support and the, the staff needs to recruit. So it's it's not just hiring more people, but changing like that mental approach to it too. Yeah. yeah I think like, for example, Clemson documented something like a million contacts with potential recruits that were generated um, by the support staff. I mean, it's just mind-boggling, you know, kinds of numbers. Uh, I know USC now is a, you know, is, and has made good use out of a graphic artist, for example, where you can personalize things and, and really, uh, you know, put stuff out that's very professional and, and really classy looking and all that's, those are moves in the right direction. I think those are really important. I, I just think, you know, you just gotta, it's competitive world. USC's got a lot of advantages, but they've still got to be willing to compete, uh, you know, in certain areas and just say, look, this is what's dictated, you know, by the market. This is where people are. And we got to be there, uh, and you can't just rely on your history or your location or, or, or you know all the things that that are, you know, clearly positive. But you got to you know suck it up and say, though, we probably got to do some things. And let's face it, they were winning national championships with Pete, without a whole lot of infrastructure, uh, and they they were just better than people, and they did things better. But that's probably gone. I mean, there's that we're not going back there. Uh, if you aren't, you know, competing with the, you know, Alabamas and Ohio States and Texases and Clemson, probably the best example of somebody that's figured out what can we do well and how do we do it and and, and taking advantage of it without having, you know, a great, you know, big national alumni and, and, and a national presence and they're in a, you know, kind of a difficult place to get to. Uh, and they still, you know, make it work. Uh, USC's got to, 
use all the advantages and then add to it by uh, by getting up to speed with everybody else. We haven't seen that yet. Got to start happening. I think to take a different approach that, than to what you guys said, I would stress a, a new focus on practice and looking at how that can be rejuvenated and also a flexibility when it comes to practice. You know, don't base it off of this is what we planned in August and we're going through it no matter what. You know, if, if Tuesday's practice was sluggish, let's come out Wednesday with full pads again. Yeah. You know, or, hey, on uh, on Saturday we were really bad at tackling. We're going to spend an hour of practice on tackling, you know, or maybe not spending an hour on special teams. I think there needs to be a flexibility and an evolution throughout the season of what takes precedent, what's more important to focus on in this allotted time that you have on the field for Saturday rather than, Oh, this is what we plan. This is what we do. And this is what we're going to do no matter what, you know, I I don't think that works. And I I think you saw that each Saturday. Keely's been paying attention out there. Ryan. (laughs) hundred percent. Yeah. So I I hadn't thought about, you know, specifically that part of it because I'm thinking more of the support stuff, but you're exactly right. Uh, But you have to have a vision of what you want to do and how you want to do it and what makes it important. Now, one of the things I think, you know, Clay was hurt because of the fact that, you know, 10 years at Memphis and then six years under, under uh, Lane and, uh, and, and Sark. Uh, and I think his first year when he, he realized that they were all over the, you know, with the, the loss to Alabama and then not getting it together, you know, at Stanford and then almost getting it together when they bring Sam in and he decided they had to do everything uh, meticulously kind of by the book and his book and every practice had to be the same and everything had to be just so. And I think he probably credited that more with getting things fixed than it really did. I think, you know, it was more, you know, he had Sam Darnold and he had, you know, Deontay Verdette and he had Ronald Jones. And uh, I think those things made it happen. And I'm not sure they were connected to how they practiced, but, but Clay really believes he has to just be very uh, disciplined in terms of doing the same things the same way every day. And Keely, I think you're 100% right that you've got to react to what you're seeing and and change it if it's not getting the job done. But you have to understand, what do we have to get done here today to get the job done? And I'm not sure we always get an answer that we really think we believe as to whether they're getting the job done or not. Yeah. Or we don't get to see the practice cut-ups and all that. But we see things and then we don't get a reaction uh, to what we're seeing. And... Uh, but great point, Keelan. Yeah. Their plans are made like they're etched in stone where like we start spring football and, you know, well, you got your offensive coordinator like a month before spring football started, maybe delay it a couple of weeks. Like, nope, that's not what we do. It's And, you know, August, we're like, this is how we, we set up the practice schedule for the whole year. And, you know, there's hardly any changes. They changed the notepad November because there was a player revolt or whatever, but that's about it. But most of the time it's, it's like they come up with a plan and if it, to, to divert from the plan would take, uh, like an act of Congress or something. It's just really strange that that it just they won't go away from it. 
And what happens is that then you get the players, anyone for that matter, would get used to what you do. 100%. And then it just becomes routine. <laughs> and you just go through the motions. And Ryan, when you did that article, players told you like, yeah, when when it, we know it shells, we kind of it's an easier practice. And yeah. It's like, whoa, that's not what you want to hear. Yeah. And the other thing is games aren't predictable. So I don't think practices should be predictable. Practices need to have that kind of connection to the quick changes that occur in games or the unpredictability in games. You have to introduce that to practice because no game almost ever goes like practice. And, and so I just think that connection to game speed and game tempo and game reality and game you know unpredictability – and that needs to be introduced into this practice schedule. And uh, I, I think I, I, I think there's just too much of that. I want to feel safe and comfortable. I mean, let's face it. I mean, one of the things that was supposed to do with the predictability and the regularity of practice was to, you know, get the fundamentals correct and get everything down. And that hasn't helped a bit in terms of, uh, you know, cutting down on the penalties or, you know, you know, turnovers or whatever. So <clears throat> it just hasn't worked. So for that reason alone, you try something else. I mean, that's, uh, and, and, and you, you make it, make the players understand why you're doing something different. If you keep doing the same thing the same way, why wouldn't they think they're getting it done? You know, you got to make it clear you're not getting it done. And we're going to have to do this, or we're going to have to do that. But if you come out and do the same thing every day, they got to think they're doing it. Well, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. No, you're not. But that's got to change. Yep. Agreed. Good job, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dan, class of 1962, says, What is the current status of Taylor Katoa? Has he finished his mission, and will he still be on the USC roster next year? That's a really good question. Does he have another I, year or not? I think, yeah, I think, I think it's only been one year, right? Yeah, I think it's only been one it's year. It's one so. year, yeah. So that'd be interesting. It, it'd be interesting to see what he looks like when he comes back and all of that. You know, this is a time when, you know, kids really, uh, you know, kind of grow into You see that with the Brigham Young kids who tend to be a few years older and all of that. Uh, I'll be interested to see. But I do think he has one more year. But he's, he's certainly got the size. And <clears throat> I don't know that we were – a hundred percent, you know, got to see exactly, you know, what he could be, but, uh, but yeah, he's sitting out there and, uh, probably, uh, going to be a factor when he comes back. Uh, he's a big kid. All right. Let's, uh, we got one last voicemail for you, Dan. I'll play it. Here you go. Yeah. The question uh, I have is that, uh, uh, Gerard and everybody else has said that the, the main problem with the uh, USC right now is the uh, leadership at the top, the board of trustees. So is there any change uh, coming, uh, uh, or is this just going to be a continual um, fight with uh, between Lynn Swan and Clay Helton, who I believe are good men who really can lead the team between uh, with a board of trustees that's just interested in paying themselves for doing a work instead of building a winning team like Clemson. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I just think you need a sense of, from the board that, uh, that it's, that it's possible to really be that, you know, top 20 academic program 
you know, with the opening to the Pacific Rim and and constantly innovating and in this great location and still have the kind of competitive football program that thinks they can win national championships. I think, I think that, that, that's what you need from the board, I think, in general. And that is what you get there is uh, you get that through the president that the board selects. And they're in a position now, you know, to, to search and, and select for a president. And uh, I know we keep thinking that, uh, you know, one of the absolutely top candidates and one of the finalists, we would guess, is uh, is the president of Northwestern, Morton Shapiro, who was a dean at USC and, and did a lot of, you know, really good things and had some really good connections with the board, some of the current, you know, top people on the board. <clears throat> and... Uh, was always, uh, uh, you know, as a, an academic guy and, a, you know, a, a very much of a, you know, with that, his focus, but very much saw, for example, that football was a good thing and could be a good thing. And I saw an interview with him with the, uh, he's now the president of Northwestern, with the Northwestern student paper, where he knew so much about that football team and, and who was where in the NFL and who was, you know, this and that and all. He was... Uh, I was, you know, and I, I, we've heard really good things about him. I'm not singling him out because he's the only candidate or whatever. I just happen to know about him, and he would bring, for example, his uh, Big Ten experience. I like the idea of having a president who has presided over a big time, you know, relatively so big time program in a big city. Uh, in a really big conference where they've had great media success and where they produced, uh, you know, great revenue from their media. Uh, and also he's in, in a program where they've just raised $300 million and probably have done more to improve their facilities at Northwestern in recent years than anybody in the country and has had, you know, the experience of a, of a really top notch, uh, athletic director, and a really top-notch uh, football coach. So, you know, that to me would be the kind of way that the board could play, you know, could play into this would be by bringing that sort of a president to USC who would be comfortable uh, with college football, comfortable with competing in college football, and not feel like I got to back off or that's not uh, that's not who we are, that's not how we do things. And I, I always remember. Uh, you know, I think I've mentioned it before here, reading uh, Bear Bryant's book on, on how to coach football. And the forward, he said, the first thing you got to do if you're a college football coach is find a president that you're comfortable with and that he's co- comfortable with, uh, with the college football program. So to me, that would be where you'd like to see the board uh, play in uh, right now. Uh, they've got a lot of other things to deal with. Uh, with you know the lawsuits and 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 all the you know the things that are that are happening uh, you know and as a result of all of that, but uh, but it just uh, that kind of a ba- I think background uh, and, and and the selection of a president who would be very comfortable with uh, competing for you know national championships in college football and do all the other things obviously that USC needs uh, you know needs done. We have another question from Dan, class of 1962. He says, Terrific podcast this past week, and the Trader Joe's Trout is really good. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> he says, enjoy the comments by Dan about an Urban Meyer or Bob Stoops hire and the possible conflict with Swan. I have a possible solution. During the last three years of John McKay's tenure as USC head coach, he also served as athletic director. Meyer or Stoops could be offered total athletic control with competent assistant ADs handling other sports and duties. A true experienced leader like them know how to multitask and delegate. This way, you get true consistency within the program, including where money is spent. Dan is right about money not being a problem if you have success. I think today... The challenges are so great for uh, and so many uh, and require so much expertise that uh, I don't know that you could do that that anymore. I just think that, um, and I don't think John McKay was very happy about doing it either, uh, to be honest. He wanted to coach football. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, coaches would like it because they don't want anybody they got, you know, necessarily have to report to directly who. They don't think maybe that's what they're doing. But uh, uh, and I, I would think you probably, I would think if you talk to Urban Meyer, he would tell you, I don't need, I don't want to be an athletic director. I need somebody uh, over me <laughs> telling me, you know, what not to do. Urban, Urban needs uh, a fairly strong uh, hand, I would think. Uh, uh, not so sure about Bob Stoops might be a little bit differently, different, but uh but I think uh, nowadays, if you're a really good college football coach, you want a, you want an athletic director who's supportive, but you want an athletic director who knows what he's doing, and you know maybe he's in the background a little bit like the guy at Clemson. But you want somebody uh, that's going to make your job easier, make your life easier, but also somebody going to keep you within the rails, and uh, especially with an Urban Meyer. Uh, I think he he really does understand that I pro- he's so single-minded about things that, that he probably needs somebody who will tell him no uh, when that's uh, when that you know occasion comes up and and if you're your own athletic director you know then you're reporting to the president or somebody like that and the president doesn't necessarily have that kind of hands-on. Uh, you know, ability. I mean, I think it's one of the difficult things for Lynn Swan right now. I'm not sure who does he report to. And I think everybody needs to be, a, you know, to report to somebody. And uh, um, so, so I hate to shoot that down, uh, but I just, I think there are so many demands of your time as a, as a college football coach, if you're doing it right, you probably don't have time uh, to be the athletic director. You just don't, I just think you run out of time. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. Well, I oh. we, it's not really necessarily a question, but I'm ending on a positive note because you guys make fun of me sometimes. I don't always end on a positive note. Oh. Hunter's dad, Hunter Eccles' dad actually called us during the live show, and he left a voicemail saying that fans should keep the faith, said it was one bad season, and USC will have a 10-win season this next year. Fight on. Yeah, he was. He called up. He's like, this is Mr. Eccles, Hunter Eccles' dad. <laughs> so he didn't say his first name, but. Uh, Mr. Eccles did call in during the show, uh, so he he wants everyone to be positive. Dan, he think he thinks yeah, USC think, is going to win I ten think, games. I, I think USC has to think that way. I mean, I I mean, I know people are oh, it's the, the schedule is so tough and this. I I just I don't necessarily buy into that. You're USC. You're still USC, and uh, I don't think it's even remotely wrong to say. I think they're at least going to win ten games next year. I'm not sure they will. Uh, and, and obviously a lot of, you know, pitfalls and potholes and all of that, 
But, uh, I think, you know, you're in the Pac-12, for God's sakes. You ought to win 10 games. Come on. Uh, and so, uh, so I'm, I'm with uh, Mr. Eccles. Uh, 10 wins minimum. And that's – 10 wins is a bad year, you want to say. Wow. All um, right. You know, it's the Pac-12. <laughs> and the Pac-12 South, specifically. And the yeah. Pac-12 South. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I'm, not, I'm not against that at all. Utah lost their quarterback and running back, their two most prolific playmakers on offense, and they still won the South. So it's uh, yeah. it was it was up for grabs last year, and USC. I mean, USC really had to screw up to not win the South last year. Uh, Herm Edwards, ASU, yeah. like we talked about, all the changes they made. They from Todd Graham to Herm Edwards, they stayed the same. I think it was both seven and five and finishing second in the Pac-12 South both years. So it's. Uh, to allow Arizona State to do that, you're, there's, yeah. Um, I they, mean, and they beat USC with one guy like they did the last time they came into USC <laughs> and beat them with one guy. I mean, come on. You can't let teams beat you with one guy. I mean, USC beat itself. They beat themselves, you know, in the Cal game and the UCLA game and the Arizona State game. Come on. I mean, just stop beating yourself. Uh, and then, you know, go from there. Get better. But, uh, yeah, no excuse. There's absolutely – you could say it was one-off, uh, but it was a horrible one-off. I mean, they did so many things wrong last year. I mean, it's inexcusable. Uh, there's no way you can live it down. You just got to come back and play better this year and coach better and, and do everything better. Uh, but uh, that last year was pretty much unforgivable. Uh, that was so bad. I mean, you, you would have had to try to lose the way they did and, and to not get any better. Ah, that's unacceptable. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a good show. How long did we go? This was an yeah, hour and 20 minutes or so. Not too bad. A meaty show. It was, there was some meat in there. Lots of great questions that everybody sent in. And uh, yeah. we Thank were very, you. very happy about the live show. We're going to plan us to do it again Thursday. Um, don't know if we're going to take live calls again. I'll have to, let's see Aww, if we can get so Chris. No, no, I think we will. Like, oh, okay. as long as we, we, we have to have extra body to do Chris that. Chris will be here. All right. We'll make him. Keely's, <laughs> Keely's making Chris show up. So we'll, uh, so if you didn't do that, so what we did last Thursday. It's, I don't think Chris was really there. <laughs> he was in the back room. He was taking the phone call. I don't think he was in there. I, I, I got to see Chris before I, <laughs> I didn't hear him. I didn't see him. I don't know if he was there. Or That's not. where he likes, he likes to be on. <laughs> in the uh, shadows. Yes. But we need it. So basically the way it works just behind it. So if you didn't know. So we do our live show, Tunnel Vision, on Thursday. Well, we, whatever. We do it Thursday nights right now. Uh, it'll be live on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. So you could actually watch the video live. And what we wanted to add a new element was that you could actually call in live. So instead of people put stuff in the chat box, and then Keely will read the question, and then we'll answer it. But this would be a way to get live phone calls in. So we, the system, the way we have it now is there's a second room. So he's in the other room connected to a computer there so we can sort of hear him what he's talking like through the wall uh sort of thing and then you know someone will call and then he'll text keely like hey we got a call and she will let them through and it actually worked really well but you can only take one call at a time so people would keep calling and it would go right to voicemail or whatever because we couldn't uh you know, we, we don't have like a switchboard or anything. We just have one, you know, one call at a time. But it, it worked there, pretty well. Is there like a is there like a high tech term for that? We can hear him through the wall. Is there like a? <laughs> I put some. I installed some uh, 
like noise canceling stuff, some foam or whatever between, but it's still like, it's not enough. We're still going to do more, but this was like, it was a pretty big step, Dan. Like it was just a good, yeah, like, it was good. Yeah. People, yeah no, it was very, uh, it was really nice job. People were lo- like, they, they, like we, like Keely and I were, I don't think Gerard cared. But <laughs> Gerard did not care at all. And meanwhile, Ryan and I were like giddy kids we're like on Christmas. smiling, yeah. like, like I'm just, I get this smile because like, this is actually working, you know? So it's a little like like how the sausage is made, but we're going to do another one on Thursday. So if you're listening to this before then, and you want to call in live, we should hopefully do that. But either way, when we do it live, it's cool because you could go into the chat box and put your questions in and then we'll, you know, we try to get to as many as we can. It'll be a post signing day version. But Gerard won't be, that's the day division what is, some video game is being released division two or I don't know what oh. it is. he likes playing division. So Gerard can get his day off, but yeah, he, he deserves, he after deserves recruiting. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll meet like shotgun. will be back. Uh, we'll chat all this fun stuff, but, um, Dan, thanks again for, uh, for coming on. It was a lot it of fun. Was fun. Good questions. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Keely, you're sitting across from me in the studio. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you guys all. Uh, for listening to our little show, the Parastyle Podcast. I think there'll be our 12th football season coming up, which is absolutely insane. We've been doing this for that long, but uh, we do appreciate you listening and calling in and writing in and all that stuff, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.